0: Well, last week we talked about where is the compelling voice that we need today to compel people to come, come to the cross, come to Jesus, and experience salvation. Um, our world is in such a mess. If you, if you watch much of the news, it'll depress you, because it just reveals what a mess we're in. Um, I want to thank you all for praying for our son, Jason, who was on a a nuclear sub somewhere in the Indian Ocean for over three months, and he got home Wednesday and turned 41 yesterday, and we were there to celebrate him turning 41. And uh, that was a long time ago, wasn't it, Brenda? Poor child survived, a young couple didn't know what in the world they were doing, but he made it. But coming back, we were listening from a, coming back from Augusta, Georgia yesterday. We were listening to C.S. Lewis's uh, book on audio, *Mere Christianity*, and I plugged it in from my phone into the auxiliary, and and uh, and I and I listened to it so much. I would say to Brendan, "says Now watch it. Listen to this. Listen, <laughs> listen to this analogy. This is going to be so good." And it kind of, you know, these things just kind of resurface. Uh, you know, he, he gave these um, lectures on the radio in Britain in the nineteen forties, and um, he covers things like chastity and marriage and divorce. Even though he on on the uh, in the material said, though I've never been married, I, I I can speak from maybe an outsider looking at marriage and looking at how things should be, and he talked about how the morals of the modern world when he was living in the 1940s, had degenerated so bad in that there was no regard for some people's pledges to each other in marriage. They didn't view it as a promise. They viewed it as a confession of emotions toward each other. And he, and he dives in this, and I thought, bless his heart. You know, he would probably go bananas if he saw today's mess that we're in you look around the world and and what do we do do about the mess there's a couple things that we can we can kind of like be repelled from it and just go and hide in our bunker and have a lot of food supply and wait it out we can be a prepper by the way do you know you know that's the name for them prepper you know just and i'm not sure that that's not a a good thing to do but there's that's some people's response to how bad the world is going to be and And uh, we got to get a year's supply of food. We got to, and there's people who are adamant that you need to do that. Or we could do the other. We could say, look up and say, Lord, would you just go ahead and what? Come on back. Would you just come into this mess and take your church out of this? At some point, we're going to. Have to own up to what are we praying for today? Looking at our world the way it's way it's in, we we decided even before 2015 was over that we would we would make prayer a priority here, and we would have a week of prayer. We showed the war room. We we're encouraging people to pray. We we decided to make Sunday night. This was way back before 2015. It was going to take Sunday night. We, we no longer had a Sunday night regular service, so it was going to take Sunday night. And I left these things up here specifically for you to, to see. This is, our, this is our war room on Sunday night. We have all the schools listed right here, uh, both in the city and county and private schools. We have on that table over there a list of all of our missionaries. It includes Ralph and Gail Francis, who have been many years in India, co-workers with Brother and Sister Davis, And uh, it's a delight to have them coming next Sunday. Just wonderful people. Founded a church in Mumbai, has trained the leadership. And it's no telling how many young pastors' families that they have supported off of their limited resources that have started churches. I want to tell you, there is a revival in India. They're having towns and villages that have a Christian witness in a church that the Davises would tell you they would never dream that Christianity would penetrate that part of Maharashtra. And over here, we have a pictorial guide of people in the church. We pray for all of them, pray for all of those in, in the youth and in uh, Kaiapha If we don't have you by name, we're praying over you. So this is our strategy. We believe that we must pray. I want to remind you, though, of something that I think that we we, we just don't keep on our minds and I'm, I'm confessing this myself that we have so much to pray for we also have a prayer guide for our nation and 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 our leadership uh president obama's wife and their two daughters are by name on that list and uh people by name who are in leadership is on that page and we're praying for them um, seeking god for them we need to seek god don't we we need to seek his face we need to get really serious about prayer but what about An admonition you'll find in Psalm 122. I want you to turn there. It's not a very long psalm, but it's uh, one of these psalms that have a title to it, a song or psalm of ascent. And uh, wow, at last year's men's retreat, we, we heard this just broken down specifically what these songs of ascent are all about. And you'll see what the prayer emphasis is in this psalm that we're admonished to do. Um, Psalm 122, beginning with verse 1. I rejoice with those who said to me, let us go to the house of the Lord. Our feet are standing in your gates, O Jerusalem. Jerusalem is built like a city that is closely compacted together. That is where the tribes go up, the tribes of the Lord, to praise the name of the Lord according to the statute given to Israel. There the thrones for judgment stand, the thrones of the house of David. Pray for the peace of Jerusalem. May those who love you be secure. May there be peace in within your walls and security within your citadels, your towers. For the sake of my brothers and friends, I will say, peace be within you. For the sake of the house of the Lord our God, I will seek your prosperity. This is a clear admonition from one of the Psalms of Ascent. There's 15 of them. If you look through, there's 15 of them beginning in Psalm 120. And they're not very long songs, but supposedly there was 15 steps that the Levites would step up toward the inner courtroom or courtyard of the Temple Mount. And at every step, they would stop and sing one of these songs. It's also purported when people would head with their families to Jerusalem for the three festivals that if they could possibly physically make it, they were required to be there. The men of Israel were required to bring their families in those three festivals to Israel. And on their way, the families would sing these songs. And this was one of them. It was a song asking for prayer for Jerusalem. Pray for the peace of Jerusalem specifically. And it gives a blessing. May they who love you be secure. May, may those who love Israel and love Jerusalem be secure. Jerusalem is anything but a city of peace right now. It's a city in turmoil. It's a city that's, while it's uh, all under the nation of Israel's rule following the Six-Day War, before then Jordan, the line went straight through the city of of Jerusalem and Jordan had jurisdiction over the east side of Jerusalem and Israel on the west side. But following that, what is called the West Bank, you've heard a lot about the West Bank, it's from the middle of Jerusalem all the way to the Jordan River, is now under Israel's uh, jurisdiction. They've turned some of that over to the Palestinians for their own governance. But I'm, gonna, I'm not going to touch a lot on politics because I don't think politics has the answer for our world today. I believe prayer is the answer for our world. But this is this is the chaos that envelops Jerusalem. It is even though the word has peace in it, shalom, Jerusalem is a teaching of peace, something, a place that teaches and presents peace. And it's not anything like that yet. But he says we're to pray for the peace of Jerusalem. Now, what does that look like? If we could have our prayers for Jerusalem to look like. Here's what you're going to have in in the discussion, philosophical discussions and political discussions. It means this. And I want to tell you, uh, you know, whatever way you are politically, whether you're conservative, moderate, whatever, there cannot be two nations in Israel. There cannot be two nations in Israel. And every president was Bush or anyone who says that's the answer? I, that's when I talk to the television. Says you're wrong. And you're not only wrong, you're going against God. Because Jerusalem is not supposed to be divided, Israel is not supposed to be divided. So when we pray for Jerusalem, we're not praying that everybody there will just suddenly love each other and be happy. Because it's not going to happen. You got factions within that place that have a total different view of what truth is. And the truth is that Jerusalem was given by God to the nation of Israel to be her perpetual capital forever. And you say, you use the word forever? Forever. Because even when, we'll we'll touch on Revelation 21 here in just a moment, but even at the end, when the city of God comes from heaven, the city of God, the heavenly city of God, where the throne of God is, when it starts coming out of heaven to descend on this planet, it will descend right where Israel is, and it's called the new Jerusalem. There's not ever not going to be the city of God and the place for his people to dwell in. Now, Jesus spoke about things about Jerusalem, and we're going to take you to a couple other places here. One is in Luke chapter 13. The other one is in Luke 23. So if you'll turn there, I want to reference these. These are some of the scriptures we had ready to put up on the screen, but the technology did not want to work today, so we press ahead. Amen. Jesus Jesus said a couple of things about Jerusalem in these two passages. We're told by David to pray for the peace of Jerusalem. In Luke 13, Jesus uh, has some Pharisees coming to him because they're concerned about his (laughs) well-being. And I'm going to start reading around verse 34. But this prefaces this section. The Pharisees come to Jesus and says, "Oh, you need to get out of here because Herod wants to kill you. And you don't hear Jesus make too many references to political figures, but I really like this one. Because what did he say? He says, you go tell that fox that today I'm... Going to deliver demons out of people and heal people in tomorrow. And the third day I'm going to reach my goal. Is that a kind of a good accurate paraphrase of that? He says, I, I've got stuff to do. I'm not worried about him. He's not going to scare me off. And he also made a statement that a prophet cannot die outside of Jerusalem. He says, This is my goal. This city is my goal. This is where I'm supposed to finish. Everything is right here. And then he said this about Jerusalem. Oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, verse 34. You who killed the prophets and stoned those sent to you. How often, he's speaking for this Father in heaven, how often I would long to gather your children together like a hen gathers her chicks under her wings. But you were not willing. Look, your house is left to you desolate, I tell you, You will not see me again until you say, Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. End of the chapter division. Jump over to Luke 23. Because this is Jesus carrying his cross to Golgotha. And while he's en route on the Via Dolorosa, the way of suffering, on his way to the place of crucifixion, he's really saying, and he's connecting this to what he said in 13, that this is, this is the culmination point for me. And they brought a man, Simon from Cyrene. This is verse 26. And they put the cross on him and made him carry it behind Jesus. And a large number of people followed him. Verse 27, including women who mourned and wailed for him. There were ladies along the path, broken to see what they had done to him. And they were weeping beyond just crying, they were wailing for him. And he turned to them and he said this to them, Daughters of Jerusalem, you who belong to this city, do not weep for me, but weep for yourselves and for your children. For the time will come when they will say, Blessed are the barren woman, women whose wombs never bore and the breasts that never nursed. What he's saying, he's linking this to what is referenced in Matthew 24 about there's troubling, troubled times are coming for Jerusalem and for this area of Israel. And he says, there's there's people going to say, blessed are those who do not have newborns to try to take care of when all of this happens. He says, you need to weep for yourselves. You have no idea what's coming to you. And he says, then they will say to the mountains, fall on us, and the hills cover us. And that's taken from Revelation. That's taken from the despair of the tribulation being so bad that even those who retreated to the mountains to get away from the atrocities that they're seeing perpetrated on people, they get up there and they're asking the mountains to fall on them. Get us out of this. And Jesus is saying this to them, for if men do these things when the tree is green, what will happen when it's dry? If there's a time of grace for people and it happens and things happen like that, just think about when there's no grace. What an ominous statement. But Both of these, Luke 13 and Luke 23, have prophetic tones to them you think about the revelation that John had, and he he charts this, 22 chapters of Revelation. It talks about New Jerusalem coming down in chapter 21. But if you look ahead in chapter 20, it's about the the new heavens and the new earth, and and there's there's going to be a judgment. There's going to be the, the battle with the Antichrist, the battle that's going to finish all battles. The tribulation is going to conclude. In verse 19, he speaks of Jesus. In verse 10, I think it is, Jesus is on a white horse, and he's the king of kings and the lord of lords, and he's got the saints of God with him on horses, and they come out of the sky. What What a vision John is having here. And what's going on on the earth is the Antichrist and the false prophet have arranged their armies in the valley of Megiddo, what we call Armageddon, to destroy Israel, and Jesus descends into that battle and talks about how he defeats that army and the destruction that takes place. He will descend, and this this is this is the kind of like the way people view Israel in modern days. There's all kind of nations that's called for the annihilation of Israel. America and England have been the longest-standing friends of Israel, but they have very few friends today. And even people within their own nation wants us to cut Israel loose and just let them go. That will not bode well for us. It did not bode well for Germany when they raised their hand against the Jews under Adolf Hitler's Nazi regime. And it's not going to go well for people who raise their hand against Israel It's Jesus will ascend the throne of David in Jerusalem at the conclusion of that battle. When that battle is over, and let me just give you a little, maybe cliff notes of this. When that battle is over and Jesus defeats the Antichrist and his number one helper, the false prophet, they are immediately thrown into the lake of fire. Long before anybody else, any persons are commissioned there. They're taken directly from that battle and thrown into the lake of fire. Satan is bound by an angel that comes out of the sky with a chain and is put in an abyss for a thousand years, locked up and incarcerated. And Jesus ascends the throne of David in Jerusalem on this earth as it is now. And righteousness will prevail. The curse of sin will be lifted. And there will be nothing but peace. It will be a millennial reign of peace that, that starts in following the end of the tribulation. And I want you to turn to Psalm 1 if you, if you want to. I can read it, but this is where it talks about that the Messiah, Jesus, the Son of God, the King of kings and Lord of lords. This is long before any of this happens. Psalm 2 is the greatest testament of what's going to happen. And make no mistake about it, this will happen. This is biblical prophecy given to us. This is going to happen. Psalm 2 begins with this. Why do the nations conspire and the peoples plot in vain? The kings of the earth take their standing and and the rulers together against the Lord and against his anointed one. Let us break their chains, they say, and throw off their fetters. The one enthroned in heaven laughs. The Lord scoffs at them. Then he rebukes them in his anger and terrifies them in his wrath, saying, I have installed my king on Zion, my holy hill. That's a reference to Jerusalem, by the way. And when we're praying for the peace of Jerusalem, we're actually praying for Jesus to come and ascend to the throne of David and instill peace in that city forever. And he says, I will proclaim the decree of the Lord. He said to me, you are my son. Today I've become your father. Ask of me and I will make the nations your inheritance. This is, this is how it's going to be in that global millennial reign of peace under Christ as king of kings. You will rule them with an iron scepter. You will dash them to pieces like pottery. Therefore, you kings, be wise and be warned, you rulers of the earth, serve the Lord with fear. And rejoice with trembling, kiss the sun, lest he be angry and you be destroyed in your way, for his wrath can flare up in a moment. Bless are all who take refuge in him. This is a testament to Messiah's victory. You know, I read that verse twelve, and it kind of reminded me of Wednesday night. Kiss the sun, but watch this, Joel chapter three. If you'll just hang in here with me just for a moment, we're gonna. Hit two major places in scripture. Joel 3 and Revelation 14. So if you have your Bibles, go ahead and get that. Remember, Psalm 2 is the prophecy that God would instill his son, the king, on, on the holy hill of Zion. And this will this is going to be the prophecy that on his shoulders will be the government, and of his government there will be no end. It's He is a rightful heir to the throne of David in Jerusalem. Tel Aviv is the present capital of Israel. There is a huge pushback to make Jerusalem the official capital of Israel because it sends a shudder through the rest of the world that when that happens, it's kind of like a declaration that the prophecy of the Lord is coming to pass. How many have been to Israel How many have been to Israel? Gail? David, you been to Israel? Anyone else? It's life-changing, isn't it? I've had the privilege to be there twice. I kind of told you about my reaction to seeing people on the beach of the Sea of Galilee. First time I saw that, I thought, that's horrific. (laughs) They're out there playing volleyball. and (laughs) That's holy out there. Y'all get off of there. But I had the privilege of going back, and it is like, you see Jerusalem, you see the state it's in, you you know that this is the city where David reigned. This is is the prophesied place that the kingdom of God is going to come in power and demonstration in an authentic, global reign of Christ. And Joel is all all about that. He's only like, he only prophesies three chapters worth of prophecy. And chapter 2 is about Pentecost. In chapter 3, he gets... In verse 1, he says this, "...in those days and at that time..." This is speaking for the Lord. "...when I, the Lord, restore the fortunes of Judah and Jerusalem." He says, "...when I bring Jerusalem to that place of peace, I will gather all nations and bring them down to the valley of Jehoshaphat." That is another name for the valley of Megiddo. And I don't know if you, David and Gail, stood in Megiddo and overlooked that valley... It is a massive valley that enormous armies are going to crowd that valley in a great all-out battle that culminates at the end of Revelation 19. But he says, I'm going to gather all of them into that valley of Jehoshaphat, and there I will enter into judgment against them concerning my inheritance. In other words, what God's purpose is for his people. Israel is the inheritance of the Lord. My people Israel, for they, was, they, for they scattered my people among the nations and divided up my land. Drop down to verse 11. Come quickly, all you nations from every side, and assemble there. Bring down your warriors, O Lord. Let the nations be roused. Let them advance into the valley of Jehoshaphat. For there I will sit, this Lord said, I will sit to judge all nations on every side. And, and you ought to underline the next Verse, verse 13, swing the sickle, the harvest is ripe, come trample the grapes, for the winepress is full and the vats overflow, so great is their wickedness. This is a measure of the extent of wickedness in God's judgment on that wickedness. Multitudes, multitudes in the valley of decision for the day of the Lord is near in the valley of decision. The sun and moon will be darkened. The stars no longer shine. The Lord will roar from Zion and thunder from Jerusalem. The earth and the sky will tremble. But the Lord will be a refuge for his people, a stronghold for the people of Israel. Now, if you can, go quickly to Revelation 14. And if you will, just maybe hold Joel three thirteen. And I want you to see the common language between Joel who prophesied hundreds of years before John ever had his vision to write down Revelation. So there's hundreds of years that span between Joel and John. But John, his prophecy now is close to 2,000 years old. So we're talking about God outlining our future and what's going to happen Look in verse 14 of Revelation 14. I looked and behold, before me was a white cloud and seated on the cloud was one like a son of man with a crown of gold on his head and a sharp sickle in his hand. Then another angel came out of the temple and called in a loud voice. The temple has to be in Jerusalem. This is not just an ordinary temple. To him who was sitting on the cloud... Take your sickle and reap because the time to reap has come and the harvest of the earth is ripe. This is identical to Joel chapter 3, verse 13. So he who was sitting on the cloud swung his sickle over the earth and the earth was harvested. And another angel came out of the temple in heaven and he too had a sharp sickle. Still another angel who had charge of the fire came from the altar and cried in a loud voice to him who had the sharp sickle, Take your sharp sickle, gather the clusters of grapes from the earth's vine, because its grapes are ripe. And the angel swung his sickle on earth, gathered its grapes, and threw them into the great winepress of God's wrath. They were trampled in the winepress outside the city, outside the city of Jerusalem, and blood flowed out of the press, rising as high as a horse's bridle, For a distance of sixteen hundred stadia. This is where you where you get the verse. That the battle in Megiddo, in the valley of Jehoshaphat, is going to be so horrific, that the blood will be that deep. It's hard to imagine that, isn't it? But all of this is God's plan. It's coming. It's on the horizon. What we've just read, is going to happen. So what are we going to do? Our country's in crisis. Look at at how we're so out of sorts in this nation. It's the most divided I've ever seen in America. And I'll be 65 next month. And I was a junior in high school when they integrated the schools in Shelby County. We did not have one problem at Vincent High School that I can remember. But this is, this is I, those, some of us have lived through how all of that charted. And look at America Day. It's one of the saddest pictures I think we can see. The world is in a mess. What, is, what are we to do? What are we to do? Does it bother us? Does it matter to us? are we just kind of like, well, it is what it is. But I'm I'm telling you, I don't believe we can do that as God's people. I know that's not what God wants us to do. I think he does want us to become a 2 Chronicles 7, 14 people. That instead of coming to some kind of, you know, this is just destiny, this is, fatalism, this is just meant to happen and, and not care. We need to care to the point that we need to, listen, we need to pray like we've never prayed. Amen. If you've had a greater prayer life at some point in your life than you have today, you need to go blazing by that, where, whenever that was and whatever it was, because we're in much deeper trouble today than we've ever been as a nation. We need to cry out to God. We need to seek God. We need to play, take our places as watchmen on the wall of our nation and weep for our nation. Jesus told women weeping for him, he says, you need to weep for your own situation. You have no idea how desperate of a situation you're in. Within 40 years, Titus would run through Jerusalem with his army and run women and children and men through with their swords and completely destroy the city and the temple. He says, you have no idea that the children that you have in your arms, what they will face in 40 years. He said, if you knew it, you would not be weeping for me, but you would be crying out to God. What defines the church today? What we found out today that a new projector and a screen cannot define us. And better technology cannot define us. We need to learn again how to get on our faces before God and cry out to him. Pray, a praying church, praying people, pray, praying for people. We've got prayer requests. We pray with people. Pray for Muslims. When's the last time you prayed for a Muslim? When's the last time you prayed for your enemy? Well, that's another great lesson from C.S. Lewis <laughs> about loving your enemies. Aren't we glad he explained it to us, Brenda? We, we can deal with our enemies better, can't we? We don't even know if we got enemies, but we can deal with them better when they show up. We pray with people. We call on the name of the Lord. We cry out to God. We cry out to God. We cry out to God. Our problems are too great to be remedied by a presidential election. we got greater problems than a presidential election. we got serious spiritual issues, national issues. Here's three things I think should cause us to cry out to God for another great awakening. Paul, if you can... Come to the platform. You know, I look at January. This is uh, Sanctity of Human Life Sunday today. I've been at the uh, the the demonstration in Washington D.C. the March for Life more than once. I set in on a training a training session for Save a Life workers at Jackson where we. Established a Save a Life Center, a counseling center for unwed mothers. I was part of a, a rescue, Operation Rescue. I remember, remember that. <laughs> no, I did not get arrested. Brenda says, don't you dare get res- arrested down there. But where's, the, where's our sadness over abortion? We've gotten used to it it's almost a non issue to the church today we need to start by repenting to god that that doesn't bother us if indeed it doesn't bother us if it's simply a philosophical or ideological difference we have with other people we we do not understand the value of human blood god asked cain where's your brother I don't know. Am I supposed to keep up with him? And God said, I can tell you where he's at. You spilt him into the ground. And his blood is talking to me. And his blood is crying out to me. Because you committed the greatest crime. You took his life, which is sacred. Can you imagine if God can hear the blood of one person come up out of the ground in a field where a brother thought he had killed his brother and hidden it and God says no your brother's blood is talking 55 million abortions since 1973 Do you don't think that the cry of the innocent blood of all of those has not been echoed in heaven for all these years. I believe we first of all need to repent for America and for us. God have mercy on us. God have mercy on us. And the second is we need to recommit ourselves to being a person in prayer who stands between heaven and this earth on behalf of Israel on behalf of Jerusalem, to pray for the peace of Jerusalem. And here's the third thing. We got to get up and go. We've been sitting way too long. Terrorism hasn't come to Tuscaloosa yet. I'm sure San Bernardino didn't think it was going to come to their city. But we take our refuge in God. So would you stand with me this morning? And I want you to join me in a corporate repentance to God for the abortions that's taken place in this country. Could we just make this a holy moment? And if you could, just stay put just for a moment. And let's, let's cry out to God all over this room, would, would you just join me in crying out to God, God, have mercy on this nation for the devaluing of life within the mother's womb, a defenseless little boy or little girl that has become the, the results of political jockeying for ideas and advantages. Lord, would you forgive our nation for the loss of life For the millions, for the millions upon millions of innocents, we represent our nation before you. and We're asking you, Lord, to forgive us and to correct us, Lord, and to bring a holy correction to the populace of this nation, to swing the minds of young people and young adults and college students and professors at our universities, for them to see what is really at stake here, Lord the value of life, the value of one person. Lord, forgive us for racial tensions in this nation. Forgive us for pushing each other away just because of our skin color. Lord, would you help us and heal our nation, heal our nation, and begin with it in the church, O Lord, to create a love for us, a love for others, a love for the Muslim people, a love for their souls, that we begin to intercede for them to have divine revelations of who you are and that you would come to them in the night in their dreams and in their visions and reveal yourself to them, Lord, supernaturally to husbands and wives and children and homes that need the light of who you are. And Lord, for the peace of Jerusalem, for that nation to have peace, for you to come and establish your kingdom in Jerusalem upon the throne of David. We long to see our earth under the shadow of peace, under this calm of your kingdom when you reign for a thousand years. We long to see that, to see it on this planet, a planet with wars and strife, division, from within homes to nations to see a state of peace on this earth. We long for that. And Lord, while we have time, would you move us out of our lethargy and out of our complacency and stir your church in America, Lord. Stir your people in America, Lord. Stir your intercessors, Lord. Stir your people. Anoint your people this morning to be true intercessors, spiritual warriors in this war room that we're in, under this warfare that we're in, this world. In Jesus' name.